Hello, this is Neil from Grassroots Security, and thanks for listening. Carrie, are you looking forward to the year ahead? I am sure that after 2020, nearly anything will be better than it. So yes, I am looking forward to this year. Why did you think such? You won't get the virus that's infecting the human population. Yes, but all I hear is bleep this and bleep that. That virus has dominated everything. Ah, uh, Carrie. Mind your language. Anyhow, here's to a better year ahead. My circuits are with you on that. As usual with the disclaimer, the opinions here are my own, and relying on any information from this podcast is at your own risk. Now on with the show. The European Data Protection Board, or EDPP, has released Guidelines 01-2021 on examples regarding data breach notification. It is currently open for feedback from January 19 to March 2, 2021. As you may know, the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, has Article 33 on the requirement to notify the supervisory authority, basically your Data Protection Commission, in the event of personal data breach. However, a number of people and organizations may still be unsure of what constitutes a personal data breach, as defined in Article 412. Data from the Irish Data Protection Commission seems to imply otherwise, as out of the 5,818 data breaches notified between the period of May 25, 2018 and May 25, 2019, only 4% of the concluded notifications have been considered as a non-breach. So it seems people who work in organizations know what a personal data breach is. So Carrie, what is a personal data breach? In Article 4, 12, a personal data breach means a breach of security leading to the accidental or unlawful destruction, loss, alteration, unauthorized disclosure of, or access to, personal data transmitted, stored, or otherwise processed. Excellent. Based on that definition, a personal data breach is when at least one of the three information security principles of confidentiality, integrity, or availability have been broken. The guideline noted in point number nine that a breach should be notified when the data controller thinks that there is a likely risk to the rights and freedoms of the data subject. This is important because once the controller are made aware of a potential data breach, the assessment needs to happen immediately at that time. They should not wait for a detailed forensic examination. The release guideline also has an important use. Each data controller should have its handbook or procedure on handling personal data breaches. If you don't have it, create one. It doesn't have to be perfect. But it needs to exist, and anyone who is part of the process of security incident handling must be aware and trained on that handbook or procedure. The guideline is important because you can use the examples provided to test your own handbook or procedure. I find this invaluable as it is often when you have scenarios identified and you go through exercises that you find gaps in your handbooks or procedures. The different examples or cases as defined in the guidelines are fictitious, but do account for the general areas reported to the supervisory authorities. 
it grouped these cases into six. Number one, ransomware. Number two, data exfiltration attacks. Number three, internal human risk source. Number four, lost or stolen devices and paper documents. Number five, mispostal. Number six, other cases, social engineering. Thanks, Gary. We won't go through all the cases, but we'll explain what each group covers. The first one, ransomware, is a frequent cause for data breach notification. This is when malicious code encrypts personal data and the attacker asks for a ransom in exchange for a way to decrypt it. This is often classified as a breach of availability, but a breach of confidentiality could occur, like in the case that the data is sent to a third party. Number two. Data exfiltration attacks deal with the successful exploitation of vulnerable services offered by the controller and that personal data is accessed by a third party which they can acquire or even modify. Number three is internal human risk source is a personal data breach due to a human error, which can be either intentional or unintentional. Because of the human factor, controllers often find it difficult to identify the vulnerabilities and adopt measures to avoid them. Number four. Lost or stolen devices and paper documents are self-explanatory, wherein the container of the data was stolen. But the difficulty is in assessing what exact data was lost, especially when it comes to a laptop because the device is no longer available. Number five. Mispostal. Is when, as a result of accidental human error, normally due to inattentiveness, this often results in data breach due to personal data being sent to the wrong recipients. Number six. The other cases social engineering just deals with two other cases, identity theft and email exfiltration. Now we'll go through one of the examples to understand the guideline better. Is there a structure to the cases? Each of the examples or cases is structured as A. It provides a scenario and the context surrounding it. This includes what the issue is, what the data was involved, what happened to the data, what measures were in place, and other related information. B. It then goes to some of the details on what prior measures were in place and a risk assessment based on the context. For example, did they have backup or was data protected by encryption? C. It then provides information on mitigation and obligations. Mitigation is what did you do to address the issue. For example, were they able to restore from backup in the event that the data was made inaccessible either through deletion or unauthorized encryption, like through ransomware? And then obligations include what you must do regardless of your mitigation actions. This includes notifying the supervisory authority and potentially communicating to data subjects. And D. Lastly, after the last example or case in the group, it mentions the organizational and technical measures for preventing or mitigating the impacts of the scenario. There's nothing new in the measures, but they would be a good check against your own practices and measures. So what example did you choose to walk through? The example we will be walking through is case number 14, sensitive personal data sent by mail by mistake. If you have been working for a number of years, 
you would have heard cases wherein someone accidentally sent an email message to a recipient or several recipients who shouldn't have received the personal data. So this should be relatable. In this specific example, the email in question was sent to all individuals registered in a system as job seekers. The message contained upcoming trainings, but also included a file that included the job seeker's personal data, which includes name, email address, postal address, and social security number. The number of individuals affected are more than 60,000. The office contacted all the recipients and asked them to delete the previous message and not to use the information contained in it. So that was the context. What are the prior measures? The guideline didn't provide much on prior measures, except saying that stricter rules should have been implemented for sending such messages. A lot of email systems do not have many controls for this scenario. Some would inform you that you are sending to a large number of recipients, or it may block sending to a lot of recipients if their email addresses are in the to field. Then upon assessing the risk, the following factors were considered. 60,000 individuals is considered a considerable number. The involvement of the social security number also increases the risk. And the fact it was distributed to all job seekers meant that containment of the data is unlikely. So the combination of the above results in a high risk, or equivalent depending on your company. Because of this, the following mitigations and obligations were made. From a mitigation perspective, since containment was unlikely, all the data controller can do is ask the recipients to delete the message. There's no way of forcing them to do so, and they cannot be certain that the recipients complied with it. From an obligation perspective, they will need to document the risk, notify the supervisory authority, and communicate to the data subjects. There are a number of organizational and technical measures that can be implemented to prevent or mitigate the impacts of mispostal. A few of them include 1. Ensure that the standards are defined for sending emails, especially to external recipients. Number 2. Adopt I4I's principle when sending to a significant number of external recipients. This means having someone else check your email before sending it out. Number three, and my favorite, which I adopt, is the application of a message delay. This means that after you have clicked the send button, it remains in your outgoing queue and doesn't actually get sent until after a predefined period of time. I typically set this at around five minutes as it gives me time to either delete the email or even turn off my network connection. I like that as well. I have a lot of draft emails that I did not send when you left me by myself for a few months. Jeez, I already apologize for that. When will you let it go? I will think about it. So that's it. If you are a data protection officer or someone involved in the handling or managing of data breaches, the guideline document is useful. And if you have time to review, and provide your feedback on or before March 2, 2021. Please do. I hope this has been useful. I wish everyone a wonderful week. Slán See you later, humans. Take care and keep safe. <laughs>